You're listening to audio from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. To find more resources and learn more about our ministry, please visit holycrosstucson.com. Let's turn our attention to God's Word. Uh, We find ourselves today starting uh, another little mini-series within the Gospel of John. As you know, we've been in the Gospel of John for uh, over 30 weeks now and kind of splitting it up into these several little uh, series. We just got done uh, in our Exalting Christ as we look at, you know, kind of the Lent season and Jesus' journey to the cross and resurrection and now um, a fitting passage for the Sunday after Easter, uh, kind of looking at what does it mean to live the Christian life when Jesus is not right here with us in person. Uh, We're going to John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live." In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is God's word. I really love this passage, uh, particularly for the, the Sunday after Easter, for Jesus is describing to his disciples what to expect when he's no longer with them. When he goes to the cross and to the grave and when he resurrects from the grave and ascends into heaven. He's telling them, this is what it's going to be like. Here's what you can expect when I'm not here. And understandably, he is speaking to a group of very troubled friends, a group of troubled disciples. To even imagine life without Jesus is so difficult for them. They've spent now years with him and they have followed him. They've learned from him. They've trusted in him as the Messiah. And he is now telling them something so difficult really hard for them to embrace. And he uses this conversation to not only comfort them, but to teach them. To teach them about how this is a good thing for them. A good thing for him that he, is, that he will depart from them. And so for obvious reasons, this is really a passage so critical for us. It's so critically relevant for you and I. Because it's a passage about life when Jesus is not face-to-face, when he's not walking with us side-by-side. How do you walk with Jesus when he is not by your side? 
How do you listen to Jesus when you can't hear his voice? How is Jesus an advocate and comforter when he is not there to sit next to you and to put his arms around you in your most troubling of circumstances? These are the questions we ask. How can it be better that Jesus is not with us face to face than with us bodily, tangibly? These are the questions that we ask and the questions that that they are asking as well. And Jesus is talking really strange here. He's talking really strange. He says, I must leave you and you will not see me anymore, but I will always be with you. That's strange. You won't hear me anymore, but I will always be speaking. I will comfort you, but you will never feel my arms embrace you. I love you, but you will never see my adoring, smiling face again. These are strange ways to talk. And then the best question is asked, and this is, gosh, this has to be like a top three question in the Bible. This is such a good question. It's such a good question asked by Judas. And John, the author here, is very quick to tell us this is not that Judas. Not that Judas. This is another, there was another Judas, another one of the 12, whose name was Judas. This is Judas, the son of James, maybe the brother of James. We're not really sure. Either way, this is like a half brother or, or half nephew of Jesus. This is a family member of Jesus. And he asks this, and I'll paraphrase it. Here's the question he asks. Say what now? <laughs> what? Okay, specifically, he says, how is, this, how is this that you will manifest yourself to us in this way, but the rest of the world will not be able to see, this and see you in this way? How is it that you will have this relationship with us that is so personal, so intimate, so relational that we will hear the voice that you, that you are speaking. We will feel your presence. We will, we will be taught by you. We will walk with you. We will be loved by you and others will not be able to have this and you won't be here at all. How is this possible? How is it gonna work? This is a question that we ask. Isn't this such a great question? The way Jesus answers this question is so important. It's critical even because to understand how he answers this question is understand what it means to be a true Christian. To not understand, to not know, to not experience this reality that he is describing is is really to know what it is like to be a true Christian. It reveals the critical role of the Holy Spirit. The critical role of the Holy Spirit in their lives and the lives of all believers who will come after them that will not be able to hear the audible voice of Christ, to feel his physical touch, to walk with him side by side, to see his face, to hear his voice. And that is all of us. And here's what J.A. Packer says about the Christian life. He says, the Christian's life in all of its aspects, intellectual and ethical, devotional and relational, upsurging in worship and outgoing in witness is supernatural. Only the spirit can initiate and sustain it. So apart from him, not only will there be no lively believers and no lively congregations, there will be no believers and no congregations at all. The role of the Holy Spirit is to, is to make Christians apart from whom we will not have this relationship with God not be able to walk with him, to know him, to hear his voice, to understand him, to to enjoy his compassion and comfort in times of trouble. 
And I want you to consider what comes to mind as we uh, explore the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You know, many of our, our attitudes and, I, and concepts of the Holy Spirit have been shaped by culture or tradition or experiences, and, and, and often they're just at times not very biblical at all. Some people might overemphasize the involvement of the Holy Spirit in their life. Some may underemphasize his involvement. Some completely ignore him altogether. And not only is the Holy Spirit helpful in the life of a Christian, Jesus shows us that he is absolutely necessary in the life of the Christian. And there is so much to say about the, the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Uh, but, and we're not going to get to all of that today. But here Jesus wants us to see something very important. He describes these three different word pictures if you notice, we'll explore together three word pictures that describe how and where the Holy Spirit meets us, the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. Three images come to mind in this passage that Jesus describes, the courtroom, the living room, and the classroom. The courtroom, the living room, and the classroom. Let's see what he means here. First, the, the, we encounter the courtroom where the God meets us through the Holy Spirit. In verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Jesus here is talking in legal courtroom language. The kind of role that the Holy Spirit will play in the life of the Christian is one of a, a helper, but not just any helper. It is, the, it is the specific word here used for a helper that is also the, the legal counsel for a person. Greek word, the Greek writers use this word parakleton to, to talk so much about legal counsel, legal advisors, advocates, witnesses, one who comes forward to represent another person in their place, one who comes to fight for them, to advocate for them, to defend them in the face of accusations. And Jesus says that he must depart from this world in order to send an advocate, one equal to the God, to God the Father, one equal to his authority and honor, equal to God the Son, and who is himself God, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will act like a witness on behalf of Christians, a witness in court. Apostle Paul says something similar here in Romans 8 that is so interesting, so important for how we sense God's, know God's work on our behalf through the Holy Spirit. And Romans 8 says, there's therefore no condemnation. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If in fact the spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness, condemnation, law. This is legal language. Here is what Jesus is telling his disciples and all who come after him. 
Without the Holy Spirit, we go into the courtroom of God, the righteous judge of all, the one who judges the living and the dead. And our only defense is our record of righteousness. And we go before the righteous judge of all the universe. And he there is to ask us one question. One question when we approach the righteous judge of all. Did you obey the law of God in its entirety? Did you obey the law? Did you follow the law? And because the answer is no, we will be condemned on the spot. But imagine now Jesus is there with you. Imagine Jesus is there with you and the question is asked again. And God asks that question as every person will stand before the righteous judge of the universe and he will ask that question, have you obeyed the law of God in its entirety? And we go pale with guilt. And as we open up our mouths to answer that question in great sorrow, we are, in, we are interrupted by the voice of Christ that says, yes, I have. And she's with me. Yes, I have. And he's with me a witness on our behalf, an advocate on our behalf, our legal counsel that speaks for us, not to give testimony of our righteousness or our record or our character, but to give testimony of their own righteousness. This is what happens when a person believes in Jesus. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit as a witness on our behalf, an advocate to testify in our place, not to testify of our life and the life that we lived and our righteousness and our measure of good. Jesus does not come uh, to testify and say, listen, he tried his hardest. I mean, have you seen some of the bad people in the world? I mean, they're, they're nowhere close to that. I mean, did you see how they acted later in life? They really tried to turn over a new leaf and start a new chapter. We're working together here. She promises to be better. Jesus is not that kind of advocate. He is there to testify to his own perfect righteousness and apply that to the life of the believer. And Jesus says, without the Holy Spirit, you have no defense. You stand before the righteous judge in the courtroom alone, just fumbling your way in making excuses about how you did not obey the law of God. You know, notice here, he, he is not only with us, but in us. There is nowhere we can go when we are outside of the protection and advocacy of Christ Jesus for us. This is something we have with the Holy Spirit that, that is, is the great promise of the Old Testament is that there would be a day when, when God would be with us, that there is nowhere we could go, that he would not be confined by space and time. See, the disciples were with Jesus 
except when they weren't. <laughs> they were with him, except when, they, when he, they were away from him. But here is Jesus is saying, he says, you should be really excited for me and you should be really excited for yourself when I leave. Because then you will not just have me with you, but in you. The world does not have this witness to stand with them as they go before the righteous judge of God. They will only have their own conscience. They will only have their own record. They will only have their own character to defend themselves. They're, they have their own righteousness, their own works. There is nothing that a person can bring on that day when he or she stands before the righteous judge of all to hear those words, you are acquitted. There is nothing that we can bring in order to merit that declaration of freedom. And Jesus says, but, but you know him. But you know him for he dwells with you and he will dwell in you. A time is coming. This is where at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit is poured out on the church, the Old Testament people become the New Testament people. This is the moment where the old becomes new, where they are transferred from the Old Testament people of God to the New Testament people of God, where it is not just the Holy Spirit with you and around you and working in your life, but now indwelling you permanently as a guarantee of God's promise for you. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. The world doesn't have that. That God relates to his people in a, in a way that is very different from the way that he relates to other people in the world. It's not the same. He doesn't relate to us all in the same way. There aren't the same opportunities to hear. There aren't the same opportunities to be comforted. The world doesn't know him. The world does not have him. But we do, he says. Instead of a helper, maybe your translation uh, uses the word uh, counselor or advocate. And this is, these are great words. I, I, a lot of translations will use the word counselor, and this is appropriate, just as long as you don't think of it as like camp counselor <laughs> or like marriage counselor or like therapist counselor, okay? The Holy Spirit does not dwell in you in order to give you a pep talk for life. You can do it. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell within you just to be your cheerleader on the sideline saying, we're for you, you can do this, keep working harder, you won't regret it. But rather a counselor as a legal counselor, then, then, the, then that word is good. Think of him as a counselor, but, on, but, but in this sense as like legal counsel, as a witness to the saving work of Jesus in your life. In this way, Jesus continues to defend you to this day, even though he's in heaven. Even though Jesus is now in heaven, the right hand of the Father, he is still advocating for you through the work of the Holy Spirit indwelling you, providing legal counsel. Even though you cannot see him, at this very moment, he's strengthening and comforting and defending you before the Father. Constantly saying to the Father, look at me, look at me, look at my righteousness, look at my record, look at my character, look at the way I have glorified you and honored you. I have done everything you've asked me to do. I've not lost a single one that you, that you sent me into the world to save. I have finished the job 
and he hung on the cross, said, it is finished. Right now, all this makes sense of all that Jesus said when he said, I've got work to do. I've got people to save. I've got uh, the glory of God to, and, and the voice of God to obey. And he did it perfectly. And so he stands before God, the Father, in our place. He had to go into heaven. He had to break through the, um, that barrier where we were kept out from heaven, kept out from God. There is never a moment where Jesus' disciples are outside of his care, ever. He does not know how to be absent from his people. And then there's the accuser. This is what they call the devil. He's the, the devil, on the other hand, he's called the accuser of God's people. And he hates when we have legal counsel. He wants us to defend ourselves. He would rather talk about our sin. He would rather talk about our record. He reminds us of our failures. He reminds us of our temptations, our fantasies. He reminds us of all the ways that we have failed to live according to the law of God. He, he, he tries to tell us, here are all the reasons why you are unlovable. Here are all the reasons in the Bible. Let's look at God's word and say what the punishment is for sin. And we may be tempted to bring our own righteousness to defend ourselves against the accusations of Satan. Look at the good that I've done. Look at what I'm trying to do. Look at how I am compared to others. And it's here we can say, because of the counsel of the Holy Spirit and the witness of the Holy Spirit in our life, where we can say, you know, you try to creep into my conscience, you try to creep into my mind, and you try to condemn me because of my sin, to take away my joy in my heart that I have in Jesus. You, you desire to drive me to desperation and to hopelessness, but you have overstepped your bounds, for Jesus is my righteousness and my Savior. So get back in your lane, you don't belong in this courtroom. I don't have to defend myself. Jesus is my witness. We forget that so much. This is what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He is not just one who encourages and gives us pep talks. He is not just this, this metaphysical force of energy and power. He is the very honor, presence, glory, of Christ in us, with us, always in the courtroom, defending us. But the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, goes beyond the courtroom and makes his way into the living room. I don't know what memories are brought up as you think about your childhood living room. But for me, it was, um, it was not a place of peace and connection. It was not a place of belonging, but rather a place of great conflict and strife and disconnection and fear. There's no doubt that as Jesus describes his departure, they're, they're feeling abandoned. They're feeling abandoned and insecure and hopeless and confused. And Jesus consoles them by saying, I will not leave you as orphans. We will be a family. 
My father will be your father. My father will love you. And we will come and make our home with you. Jesus is saying, I'm moving in and I am never leaving. I'm moving in and we're going to rearrange the furniture (laughs) and we're going to change some things, but I'm not leaving, but I will be with you. And this will be a place of connection and belonging. There are a couple of things. There's actually several things in view here. There's the resurrection that is in view here, the resurrection in view, as well as his second coming You won't see me for a minute, but then you'll see me again. And then you'll see me again, ultimately forever. But then there's another thing in view here where he says, but there's also a sense where I will always be with you, where you will always be my dwelling place. You will always be my home. There will be this prominent, abiding, constant presence of Jesus in the lives of all of his disciples. This was so wonderful that at the day of Pentecost, what was, which everyone saw that every single Christian had this flame above their head that was flickering, this little fire that was always, the fire was always meant to represent the presence of God among his people. And this was symbolic to represent God is here and he's not going away. He is home in you. The love that Jesus shares with the Father will now be shared between Jesus and the Father and his disciples. This is so amazing. A new family, a new home, new memories, new emotions as we think about what it means to be family, new emotions about what it means to have a father, new emotions, new connection, new sense of belonging. There will be this unbreakable relationship with God an unbreakable relationship of love. How will will Jesus and God the Father be present in them? Through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And there's this definitive, objective way that the Father and the Son relate to Christians that is different from how he relates to the rest of the world. There is a love that is shared between God and people that is different with those that trust in him compared to the rest of the world. Imagine this living room. Could you picture that? Just do some imagery here. Picture that living room. Imagine a living room where it is the most peaceful spot. Picture any room. It's most peaceful. It is a place where you feel most secure. And in this room, you know you belong. In this room, you know you are loved. In this room, there is zero doubt and insecurity about your worthiness. And when you step into that living room, your insecurities and your fears and doubts about whether you matter, whether you are loved, or whether you belong, they just melt away. Because in that room, you have family, you have connection. And it's unlike any connection you've ever had. It is in that room, there is the absence of fear and the absence of worry. And you really want to get in that room. But, you, but it's guarded by a door. And it's guarded by that door. And that door has a, a padlock on it. 
And you really want to be so badly in that space. And in there is, the, is God where he dwells there in that room. He is in that room. And, and just to get beyond that door would mean peace and belonging. And Jesus is comforting his disciples by saying, put your hand in your pocket and you will find that key. And that key to that door is always with you. You can always step into that room because I am always with you. And you don't even need to depart to come to find me. But I love how Jesus says, he says, you don't need to come and make your home with me. I'm coming to make my home with you. I will always be with you. I will always dwell with you. The Holy Spirit dwells in us to assure us that we are not simply tolerated by God, but we are loved by God with an everlasting, faithful love. And he says, as you go about your day, just reach down and feel that key in your pocket. You are always, you always have access where you know the love of the Father and my love for you and the presence of the Holy Spirit. You can always sit with us and dwell with us Find your, your way into that room where you feel at home. New family. New connection. You see, it's not just the, the scary, stale courtroom, but Jesus is comforting them and saying, you're my family. You are my people. And we will have a home together. And when we step into that room, it is in that room where, where all of our striving to earn God's love just ceases. Because there is the only place in the world, in that room, is the only place in the world where you do not need to earn your keep, where you do not have to pay your own way, for Jesus has paid the way for you. This is what the Holy Spirit does for us opens up that room, opens up that room where we have home with God. But Jesus knows that these are great words and they're feeling really encouraged now, but he also knows that they're going to forget this so much. And in the moment he leaves, they are going to forget. And he says, okay, there's another room we need to go to. We need to go to the classroom. We need to go to the classroom because you need to be taught. We need to go to the classroom. He says, I'm telling you these things now while I'm with you, but I know as soon as I leave and, and life gets difficult, what are you going to do? You're going to feel condemned. You're going to feel alienated. You're going to feel locked out from that space. You're going to feel disconnected. You're going to start to just trust in your own righteousness, your works, your character and record. You're going to divert back to all of those unhealthy ways of trying to find your way to God. And so Jesus says, okay, the Holy Spirit is going to teach you in the truth, to remind you of the truth and to guide you in all truth, to keep bringing you back to the things that you have forgotten about what I have done for you. Over and over again, Jesus makes it clear that there will be a clear distinction in the world between his followers and everyone else. And what is that distinction between those who are in Christ and those who are not? The followers of God, the followers of Jesus will love and obey his word. 
here is the very unpopular yet very clear teaching of Jesus throughout all of the gospel narratives. You cannot be for Jesus and against what he says. I'm so glad I'm not the one saying that because that just sounds so offensive. But there is no room to think anything else based upon what Jesus has said. You cannot be for him and against him at the same time. Why is that? Because the word of truth is not just another truth compared with other truths or another version of the truth. Jesus is saying it is between truth and lies. It is from between light and darkness. And we will know the followers of Jesus because they will be the ones that hear God's word and follow it. The Holy Spirit will then remind us what Jesus has said. The Holy Spirit will remind us of all that he has taught. The role of the Holy Spirit is not to teach us something new in addition to what Jesus has said. The Holy Spirit is meant to shine a light, like a limelight on Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one that gives us understanding, not some hidden understanding that cannot be known, but some understanding on who Jesus is and what he has done. The Holy Spirit has been called in different ways as the shy God in the sense that the Holy Spirit is constantly saying, this isn't about me. Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Hear what he says. He is constantly diverting attention away from himself to shine on Jesus. And that's what Jesus is saying here. The role of the Holy Spirit is to remind you about what I have done for you and what I have said for you. The Holy Spirit reminds us that we should not become too prideful to think that we are beyond instruction. We, need, we, we never get beyond our need to hear and to be taught and to hear instruction from God. We never get beyond our need. We, there is no end to needing to be taught by God. The Holy Spirit reminds us that, that we cannot become, that we should not become too prideful in what we know or what we believe or what we have read or what truths we ascribe to. The Holy Spirit also reminds us that we should not become too hopeless to think that we are beyond repair, that we can always learn. Well, I feel so insecure. I feel so hopeless because I don't know this much or have this much faith. Well, that's great. That's okay. Like, we can be taught. He loves to teach us. God loves to teach us. Those who are Christian are not true Christians by the measure of their obedience or knowledge of what God says. But we are Christians because Jesus died for our sins and he sends the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And the person in whom the spirit lives, in whom the spirit, in, in, in the person in whom the spirit lives, will grow, will confess, will repent, will mature, will say, "I'm sorry, I was wrong." Will say, "I do need to learn." Will be able to say, "I don't know everything." It is not about me. It is about Jesus. This, the Holy Spirit 
teaches us to be teachable. The Holy Spirit causes a person to be humble and teachable in spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches truth and we are never beyond our need for instruction. And a danger here is to become people who just ascribe to the truths of God without being people who live out the truths of God. And there's a difference. People who just believe and say, well, this is why I'm a Christian. This is why I I am saved. Because I believe in a category of these things. And we have all this information, but not transformation of heart. It will, it must lead to transformation. True faith must lead to true transformation. And that's what Jesus closes with. He says, you will be people marked by peace in your life. That is what the Holy Spirit will produce in the life of the Christian. Peace. Oh man, I hate that passage. (laughs) One of the great marks of the Holy Spirit in a person's life is bitterness, selfishness, cynicism, hatred of others. Oh, did I read that wrong? Oh, it's peace. This is how Jesus summarizes his intercession for them through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. This is a summary. Okay, you got the courtroom, you got the living room, you got the classroom. Let's bring it all together. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is the result of when we truly know what happens in the courtroom and the living room and the classroom. This is what happens when we get down deep within our hearts. All that Jesus has done for us and all that he is still doing in us. Peace which surpasses understanding, peace which surpasses circumstances, peace which surpasses financial troubles or political disagreements or racial divisions or put whatever conflict and fear you want to put in there. Be aware of focusing only on peace that is a peace like the world gives. And and what kind of peace does the world give? You can be at peace when things go your way. That's the kind of peace that the world gives, to put it plainly. I'll be happy when things go my way. And Jesus says, I don't give that kind of peace. That's not the kind of peace I'm looking for. But because of the Holy Spirit, he's met us in the courtroom to declare us not guilty before God, in the living room to take away our insecurities and to give us the love of God and in the classroom to guide us in all truth forever. The world can crumble around us and we can remain in his peace. This is the fundamentals of God's kingdom. Peace is a fundamental characteristic of the people of God who get this. If peace is not a fundamental marker in your life, it's very possible we've taken our eyes off of Jesus' work for us in the courtroom and living room and classroom. It's possible we've forgotten And instead of peace, if you're experiencing hatred 
and bitterness and selfishness and anxiety and fear or focusing on what you have earned from God because of your own goodness, you have effectively taken your eyes off of Jesus' loving and gracious and saving work for you. But to turn your eyes to these places where God meets us, to turn your eyes to the courtroom and, and know you have an advocate when you sin, the living room where you know you have the love of the Father and the Son, to the classroom where you know that you are growing and can be taught and corrected and, and discipled, it will turn your hearts to peace. When you turn your eyes to Jesus, you're, it will turn your heart to peace. So who can have this? Who can have this great gift of Christ? That's the easiest part of my sermon. All who believe. John makes it clear. Who is this for? Any and all who believe. The Bible makes it clear. This is for all who believe, who look upon Christ and see their need to hear of this good news to admit in their own weaknesses and failures to obey God's law, to stand before him as judge with any defense, to render us acquitted, and to say, God, I need you desperately. I have never needed anything this much. And I believe that you died for me. It takes courage and honesty to admit that we are weak in faith. And it takes honesty to admit that we need this good news to wash over us in a new way. It takes honesty to say, yeah, I've taken my eyes off of this truth. Maybe I never even heard it in the first place. It takes faith to believe that God is near, that he delights in you, that he loves you, and that he loves you so much that he would send his son to die for you. It takes faith to believe that he is with you now and interceding for you. Even when you cannot see him face to face or feel his tender touch, or to hear his instruction takes faith to know that this is who we are, that this relationship does exist. And it comes to us not because we have worked our way to it, it comes to us because of his mercy and grace. And it is better than you have ever been told. No matter what you have told, been told and whatever benefits you have been told about the Holy Spirit, it's better. Thanks for listening to this audio from Holy Cross Church. Visit us at holycrosstucson.com to find more resources and connect with us.